This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Everybody's talking at me I don't hear words saying Only the echoes of my mind People stopping, staring I can't see their faces Only the shadows of their eyes I'm going while the sun keeps shining Through the pouring rain Going well, the weather suits my clothes Banking off of the northeast winds Sailing on summer breeze Hi and welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9 My name is Louise and I'm an alcoholic The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism Our show has two parts. First, we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is, and what AA can do to help. Then, we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guest to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Thanks, Louise. My name's Mark. I'm an alcoholic. And the AA preamble is Alcoholics Anonymous is the fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Thanks, Mark. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, it's not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you are at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to accept it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is, is that it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet, because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. And this is what makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. 
Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous, Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. Okay, for anyone who's just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9, and we're just about to interview an AA member who's going to share their experience with alcoholism. So let's meet our guest. Mark, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little little bit about who you are? Yeah, my name's Mark. I'm a recovering alcoholic. I'm 63. I'm a self-employed uh, musician and uh, building maintenance handyman. And Excellent I have, all-rounder. Um, <laughs> I have two adult um, children who, um, who I have uh, four grandchildren. Wow. Tell us, how long have you been sober? Uh, this particular stint of sobriety is 19 Nin- years. 19 years, that's wonderful. So let's talk a little bit about what it was like growing up. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your, your childhood? Yeah, so I was the youngest of a family of four, mm-hmm. so six in the family all together. My father drank quite regularly. He was a man of very um, uh, typical habits, uh, s- drink beer, smoking and the TAB. Mm. And he worked really hard and was a perfectionist. And, um, and my mother kind of was the emotional glue in our family and um, I can remember often feeling kind of like a bit distant from my father and sometimes... And um, siblings? You've got brothers and sisters? Yes, I had uh, two older brothers and an older sister. Right, so the youngest Mm. of the family. And so tell us then, you know, when for you did you first come across alcohol? How did you get introduced to, to alcohol? Well, when, when I turned 13, my father decided I was old enough to have a drink of beer. Mm-hmm. And so he gave me a shandy, you know, <laughs> half beer, half lemonade. Yep. And um, I absolutely lapped up the attention that I got from him at that particular wow. point. Because he's basically, it was attention from my dad. And, and when I think back, he was basically saying that I was old enough to use alcohol and maybe... Um, he used alcohol to maybe dull his emotions that he mm. found difficult to deal with and so in a sense um, that probably set up something that was um, not kind of normal I used to spend quite a lot of time away at my friend's place and when his uh, mother and grandmother went out on a Friday night we started delving into their um booze cabinets and drinking and I can remember some of my first drinking um, sessions for fun I was sick ill from it and things so drinking was never kind of I never saw it in a normal Mm. way right from Mm. right from the go so tell us how your drinking progressed you know into your teens and early early adulthood yeah so um, I suppose um, I I got through kind of high school and went through to sixth form and got school certificate etc and I got a job um, as a um, trainee psychiatric nurse at a local treatment facility which I was pretty surprised that 
you know, I got accepted to this, and it was quite good money then. And um, I always had these feelings of, you know, not quite measuring up to things. Mm. And so um, I was. That's why I was quite surprised to get this job, and um, it was quite good pay. And I can remember going into town during my days off, which were during the week, and going to the pub. And I was underage, but that was in the day where they didn't sort of they weren't as tight on policing that sort of thing and I'd go to a bar and drink and uh, I started smoking pot and taking LSD as Mm. well and I was always looking forward to the kind of the weekend when the parties started and things like that. So it's quite a big escalation, a quick escalation into those things. Yeah and so drinking really starting like 15, 16 but really getting more regular, 17, 18, and especially um, mind-altering drugs Mm. and chemicals, which absolutely fascinated me, uh, which went in hand-in-hand with the rock music that was exploding out of the radios and record stores at that time in the 70s and things. So it would have felt like a pretty cool time to be alive. Yeah, and there was a big current of... Um, anti-establishment and sure. anti-war sentiment and peace and love and mm. you know get stoned and drop out and and drop out is what I did. I failed my um, first year nursing papers and went on the dole and picked yep. up a guitar and started learning how to play guitar and um, I think you know it was basically sold my soul to sex, drugs and rock and roll. And it would have felt like the right thing to do at that given the Wow, what an amazing time to be alive. I'm a little mm-hmm. envious. <laughs> what? Um, so talk about, you know, okay, picked up the guitar, into the drinking. Was that drinking socially or was it alone? I don't know whether I ever took a social drink. I never saw it. I always saw it as being, it was always kind of an escape from having to face reality, life on life's terms. Like I, I thought, you know, you go to school, you get an education, you um, you get a job and you get married and you have a house and you have kids. And mm. Is that all? <laughs> that was <That's>, <laughs> To me, in my mind, that can't be all there is. And to me, that was kind of a bit kind of dull and boring, mm. probably because there was a sort of an undercurrent of dull and boring in the household that I grew sure. up in. Having said that, I could have had a lot worse upbringing than what I had I was always fed clothed Mm -hmm. and you know looked after but maybe not so much uh, Mm. emotionally Mm. so um, alcohol and drugs was a was a a realm where I could find acceptance from Mm -hmm. friends and peers and everyone else was doing that and so you know it was easy for me to join in them without thinking too much about consequences and so I guess the question is, how long did you do that for? How long did that carry on as it was before it started to become, before you realised, maybe I've got a problem? By the time I hit, um, I think, about 18 or 19, I went into a kind of a deeper sh- um, depression Okay. where I was very disillusioned with life and myself. I felt a bit of shame towards my family that okay. I hadn't succeeded. My other brother was um, going, had gone through university, had a degree and mm. he was very successful and my other brother and sister had jobs and 
and things and um, I just started to feel this deep sense mm. of d- meaningless and directionless and the drugs and alcohol had probably um, um, fortified that and although when it came down to the weekend that's what I wanted as well to kind of escape those feelings so it was kind of like a, a merry-go-round like a catch-22 mm, and, mm. and things in that sense. Mm. And um, so you know what other consequences were there obviously you know your 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 well-being obviously and the impact uh, to your mental state but did you get any tr- any trouble with the law at any stage? Um, later on when my drinking kind of got habitual and I actually deep down knew that some of my um, living was you know wrong when I hit rock bottom um, um, I'd been um, probably I'd been on the road with a rock band for about three mm-hmm. years and um, the drinking kind of got worse and all my friends were into hard drugs as well and um, our drummer went to prison mm. and our band split up and I ended up back in Christchurch from Auckland and uh, I was just kind of accepted back home from like the prodigal son with mm-hmm, my parents mm-hmm. and um, but I had began I'd been doing a bit of shoplifting and stealing mm-hmm. things if I couldn't afford to buy alcohol mm. I'd go steal it sure. and I was quite proud of the fact that I could do these things and get away with it <laughs> yeah but I think I spent one night in a cell for swearing at a um, police officer right okay so you talked briefly about you know coming back to your parents. You know what other you know what other impacts had your drinking, drunk you know drugging, had on your relationships, oh. friends, family, loved ones. Oh, heaps and stuff. Because um, with my wife at the time, um, if um, I went off out drinking and sort of didn't come home for a few hours, she'd be outraged, and there were arguments mm-hmm. and things, and the. But the other side of the coin was that she was an addictive drinker as well. Right. And so we used to, you know, argue about whose turn it was to sort of be the stay-at-home parent and things. And we could never come to any kind of an agreement mm. on that. And we were both looking to escape in drugs and alcohol. So it had huge effects on that. And um, But when I did actually get back home after my rock bottom and... I was going to a drug and alcohol counsellor. Um, my father had um, almost uh, killed a guy on his motorbike when he pulled away from the workingmen's club because his drinking had escalated okay. as well. And my mother said that if the if he doesn't knock off the booze, then she's going to leave him. And my father could have never have lived without my mother. She was like his life and so my father was actually getting sober at the same time when I got home so that was quite um, isn't that amazing and yeah. it is just such it's just rife so there's just this chaos going on in your entire family mm. wow mm. Mm. and um okay so so you know when you you said rock bottom what was it what was it that brought you to your rock bottom or was there a series of events or yeah a series of events um it was um there was infidelity, mm-hmm. both sides in the relationship. Mm-hmm. I'd spent, I think I'd spent the rent and the power and the phone money on alcohol and took off and 
with somebody else and um, then got back a couple of days later and there was a party going on in the house that I was supposed to be responsible for and the next day I came to with a hangover in this house and the phone had been pulled off the wall and um, there was someone lying asleep in the corner of the house and <clears throat> it was a mess and my car um, I think my wife at the time had stabbed holes in the tyres and my car and um, and I didn't have any money and I thought this something's got to give. give here so I, I remember um, wiring up the phone again and ringing my mother and wow. telling her that things weren't too good and she said I'd better come home. Wow. I think I was 27. And so tell us from, you know, so what did you do from the time that you came home, you know, how did you sort of find your way into to recovery or to your first AA meeting? Yeah, that was quite amazing really because um, my wife, um, we were separated. Her older sister was um, had been 12-step by one of our older member women in the yep. fellowship and um, she could see that her younger sister was kind of having problems and so she was suggesting AA to her and everything like that and um, I think my wife rang me up on the phone and our, I think our daughter was about two at the stage mm -hmm. and she yeah. wanted to reconcile the marriage and she thought maybe the only way we could do that is with, to do something about the drinking and the drugs and because we're going to be parents and um, she rang me up and said if she'd help me pay the bills and the debts that uh, I owed or we owed then um, would I go to an A&D counsellor and see this mm -hmm. woman that she knew and I kind of agreed to that. I don't think she ever did pay <laughs> the, the bills and stuff, though, but I did go to an alcohol and drug counsellor, okay. and she put me on a questionnaire and a mm -hmm. controlled drinking program oh, yes. that lasted a couple of weeks, but the fact is you could lie. Mm. You, um, you could tick whatever mm -hmm. boxes you felt like, and which is pretty crazy, but she asked me a whole lot of series of questions about my drinking, and it was pretty much... 99% um, that I'm an alcoholic and I already knew I had problems mm. with alcohol and drugs and stuff anyway so it wasn't hard for me to kind of admit this to this lady and she said well she said I can pick up that phone I can fast track you into a treatment program okay. in, up in Hamner Springs mm -hmm. at the old Queen Mary Hospital facility for drugs and alcohol treatment and um I got booked and agreed and got booked into there and I went up there a couple of months later and actually spent three months mm -hmm. in that hospital uh, learning about, you know, alcoholism and addiction and all sorts of Lots things, of education. Educational things. One of the things that I really remember and that was quite hard hitting to me was they showed us photos of dissected brains of normal people and maybe Korsakoff syndrome mm. or alcoholic brains and there was a big difference. The medulla of the cortex was like grey and a normal person mm. was like brown in the alcoholic or Korsakoff thing and this was like, oh yeah. Like that interesting. That, how much it can physically damage and I was, I was, um, it had pushed down all these emotions of, 
not feeling um, good enough and low self-esteem, guilt and shame. And I was pushing it all down with drugs and alcohol and the kind of um, tough, hard living with all my mates and stuff like that. But underneath it, I knew that it was a hollow Mm. world and they were all starting to shoot up. Uh, heroin and smack mm. and um, then we had a limited success with music on the um, chart, mm-hmm. top 20 charts and stuff mm-hmm. but it was all kind of steeped in dramas and behind the scene and, and anyway when I'm in this treatment program um, I've, one of the things they said is what you what you find from this program and in in the AA because some of the meetings were compulsory and I just thought this is just perfect so and I didn't have a I didn't have a problem with the God part of it I always believed that there was something else because as I said before I I couldn't believe that you grow up get an education have a job get married and have children was all there is to life there had to be something else but I was kind of searching for it and I suppose the wrong Mm. areas and mind-altering drugs drinking pot LSD um, and in a kind of a paradoxical way I I did find the truth but it Mm. had to be at the expense of Mm. suffering those Mm. terrible uh, hangovers and the rock bottoms and the guilt and shame and everything and so I did kind of find a a spiritual um, thing that if if I stop drinking, if I stop the drugs, if I start working this program <laughs> I can find real yep. meaning and um, had to change the whole playground and change all the friends mm. that was kind of quite hard definitely yeah and I became the kind of born again guy <laughs> you know and yeah so tell us how during the last 19 years you've managed to stay sober what are the things that what's your, what does your process of recovery look like a big part of it is actually gaining self-esteem from um, sharing my stories kind of like I am now. Going to meetings. And going to meetings. And, and uh, having service positions. Mm-hmm. But also um, my life outside of AA is um, a lot better. I can take responsibility mm-hmm. for kind of most things and I'm self-employed and that mm. gives me a great deal of satisfaction. I like, most of the time I like the work. Yep that I do and um, it's been a total turnaround and I'm just not the same person that I was back then and it says in our big book sometimes quickly sometimes mm-hmm. slowly well for me it's it's slowly yep. it's a gradual um, change and kind of psychic change and yep. and a psychic change is also um, could be described as a spiritual awakening and stuff I suppose Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. It's been great to have you here. You're welcome. Thanks very much. So for our listeners, if you've related to anything that you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up at the web, on the web at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. There is over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can find podcasts of all our past shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.
www.radio.nz. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business. But if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with the serenity prayer, as we do in every AA meeting. God, God grant, grant me the serenity, serenity to accept the things, things I cannot change, change courage to change, change the things I can, and, and the, the wisdom, wisdom to know the, the difference. difference. You have been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9. I don't hear words saying Only the echoes of my mind People stopping staring I can't see their faces Only the shadows of their eyes I'm going while the sun keeps shining through the pouring rain Going well the weather Suits my clothes Banking off of the northeast winds Sailing on summer breeze And skipping over the ocean Like a stone Sailing on summer breeze And skipping over the ocean Like a stone Everybody's talking at me 